1: If you haven't noticed, it is absolutely nuts out there in the housing market. If you don't know exactly what you're doing and you don't have someone that you trust by your side to guide you through the process, good luck getting the home you want or getting the best price for the home you're selling. John Hurlbut at Altitude Homes is a guy I've known for years, over a decade, a friend and someone I trust implicitly. If you are in Pierce, South King, or Thurston counties, there is nobody better to help guide you through the real estate process right now. Go on over to altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkablogger. Now, again, that's altitudehomesteam.com slash Sign up to contact John. He will help you with the process, and all referrals will result in a $1,000 donation from John and the Altitude Homes team to Ben's Fund. Everybody wins, go in there, get your help, get your dream home, get the most money for your home. Altitude Homes, com slash hawkblogger.
0: Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of manifestfit.com. Football season is quickly approaching and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 167th episode of Real Hawk Talk. This is Brian Nemhauser at Hawk Blogger on Twitter. And tonight, we've got a special show. Uh, for the first time this season, we are going to bring in a guest. Uh, Arif Hassan is going to join us, a honorary member of Seahawks Twitter and an actual Vikings fan uh, and, and Vikings insider. So really looking forward to having him join us here in just a bit. Before we get to that fun conversation, uh, let me bring in the fellas. We've got uh, Evan Hill at Evan Hill HB. How are you doing, Evan? Good
2: man. It's good to see you guys. I feel like it's been a while, even though it's only been three days, four days. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Uh, a little bit of quiet time does does the, the soul good after a, a, a tough loss. Uh, next, uh, Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11. How are you doing, dude? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Jeff, uh, at real Jeff Simmons it does feel like it's been a little while since we've talked, uh, what's going on with you, dude?
3: Yeah, not too much, man. Uh, there's a storm going on outside. So if you lose me, it's not my internet's fault, but I actually did get a new company to do my internet. It's actually, it's been great. So, well, we'll you be have better,
2: we'll you be have better judge. internet than Russell Wilson. Did you Yeah, know
3: that? Uh, that? That was a great tweet, by the way, Evan.
2: Uh, I don't even remember what I tweeted, but I'll accept it.
3: Basically, what you just said. Okay. I think you said I was in rural Canada, and some people got literally upset. <laughs> they missed the bit.
2: I mean, to be fair, I I think of Canada as just like one big forest, and like yeah, you're yes. somewhere in there.
3: Toronto is very American. Toronto is very different than Canada where I live. Awesome. Interesting. But
1: yeah, this <laughs> is a fascinating I'm conversation. Good, we're off to a running start here.
3: Yeah, I gotta say, you, you guys were really good the other day. I'm not just saying that. I know I've said this. I was expecting like a very heated, fiery post game show based on Brian being at the game and drinking, and Evan and Nathan being at the game. You guys were very rational. I was like, I was blown away by that. It was a very like smart and.
2: That's what yeah. we're known for—being smart and rational.
3: I know. Right? I, I was. It was a very good conversation. I kind of <laughs> needed that. I was pissed off on Sunday.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, I think I saw it coming. Part of it. I mean, it. It. it was like. It was like for this is going to date me, but I do that all the time. And I don't really care. But that scene in Austin Powers where the you know, uh, what is it the. The truck. What, what kind of truck is it? It's Like something moving incredibly slowly. <laughs> and Paul and, and, Farrell's yelling, and he and he's yelling for like forty five minutes, and finally gets run over. It was a little bit like that, you know. Um, I even saw some ridiculous debate going on on Twitter with a bunch of hoo-hahs about whether Derrick Henry destroyed us or not. Like, what a stupid stupid discussion to be totally
4: honest like yeah i wonder who started that
2: (laughs) yeah i wonder i wonder i mean like
1: why like yeah he had a 60 yard run he was like a huge part of how they won and the seahawks played him wonderfully for most of that game like i went back just to double check because and, and then did chose not to get involved with that stupid discussion um Would it surprise you to know that in the last two years, no team has held Derrick Henry to more rushes of, or a higher percentage of his rushes that were three yards or less than the Seahawks did in that game, or that no team has held Derrick Henry to more rushes of zero yards or, or a loss than the Seahawks did in that game. So like the Seahawks did some remarkably good things against Derrick Henry and Derrick Henry got them. So this idea that Derrick Henry just like waxed the Seahawks is horseshit. Um, Oh, so
2: you're on my side.
1: Oh my God. Like, but, but no, it's not his side.
2: I thought you were going to shit all over me. It is ridiculous
1: to say that he waxed the Seahawks. And it's ridiculous to say that the Seahawks, you know, controlled him. Like they both got some like, uh, but, but like, I think it's it would be hard for most teams to play Derrick Henry better than the Seahawks did on Sunday. So I'm more I'm more on that point of view than 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 the other.
2: Did you know that like he supposedly is known for having like an absolute dump truck of a butt? God damn it! Did you guys know that there's like a, there's literally Derrick Henry butt accounts like Sam Hawk Badger, but for Derrick Henry's butt.
4: So, That's... anyways. Uh... <laughs>
2: Well, that's what the conversation turned into. I had to close the loop. No, I, I don't
1: think it was turning into that, Evan. You you turned into that. There was no there was no direction where it was heading there. Like, it I, was, I don't.
2: Yeah. All right. I'll let us move on.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Um. Yeah. So you know, I think. Uh, I think I did want to spend the first few minutes of the the the. <laughs> Pod tonight, talking about that game. Um, before we get into looking forward, uh, I'm curious. With a little, a few days uh, under your belts, any any points of view? And Jeff, I want to start with you since you weren't on the post game show. What were your thoughts on uh, on that game?
3: Uh, I'm still almost irritated by what happened. Uh, I, th- I just think it was a collective failure from so many different levels, but I think big picture, what was so frustrating is what we talked about last week, how repeatable and how encouraging that first game was. And basically everything we saw in the first six quarters of the season was great. But then the last two quarters, they became basically everything that concerned us all off season. Everything that we almost every single thing we talked about almost came to a head in that second half where I thought Nathan made a fantastic point on the show where like even Russell, where you want to see him be a little different, learn some new things, use the middle of the field. And you saw all those things the coaches did in the first game to unlock the whole field for him. And he just reverted back to the guy we saw at the end of the year last year where it was big play or nothing. And between him and DK and Bobby and the coaches making a lot of weird decisions between the pass rush rotations and how they didn't use the motion and deception on offense i just found the whole thing dumbfounding it was very frustrating because they clearly used a repeatable formula in those first six quarters and that second half just everything we saw last year that was bad almost came to a head between quarterback and center and d-line and it was just irritating and Jamal Adams and every debate we had on him and almost everything came up in that half. So it was like a punch to the gut almost. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I felt like a little bit like, I don't know, this is a horrible, horrible comparison, especially like as someone who know has known people with addiction in their lives uh, in various States, but it's the one that comes to mind. So I'm going to say it anyway, but it's like when you know somebody who's got a, a substance problem and and they're looking like they made have kicked it and then they fall off the wagon. And it's like you're you're super you're 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 gutted for them, you're gutted for your you like you want it better for them but you're not surprised that they're back to what they you know have have fallen into before. That's kind of how I left feeling that game. And that's kind of how I felt like it wasn't surprising. It was like, yeah, I've seen this before. And I I left feeling like, oh, I felt this way about Russell before. I felt this way about the offensive game plan before. I felt this way about the run game before. I felt this way about the pass rush before and the defense. Like, there wasn't a lot where I was like, oh, that was new. Um... Even this notion of of the first time that they lose a 15-point lead at home in, like, ever. Well, they've been doing shit like that the last couple years now. So, like, it just felt shittily familiar. Um, Yeah. So, like, Nathan, you know, if there was one thing you walked away from that game where you say, okay, this was the most encouraging thing out of that game. And one thing from that game that you walked away most discouraging, what would your answer be to those two questions?
4: Um, I mean, for discouraging, I don't think my answers really changed. It's really about, you know, Russell Wilson's growth, what Waldron may bring to this offense that's different, right? Um, uh, you know, we didn't see that in this game. Um, and, and we're not even seeing them try a lot of it, which is maybe the most concerning part of that. Um I mean, encouraging, I think it's also what I said in in the the post-game show. I picked them to win 11 games and win a playoff game. I had them losing this game um, because the Titans' offense is really, really good. They have Derrick Henry, and Julio Jones, and A.J. Brown, and Ryan Tannehill. Uh, So losing a super close shootout at home with some weird stuff in terms of penalties, like, the one thing that you, I, I do know what you mean by like a lot of this kind of felt like deja vu, um, or that you could see it coming. Um, the penalties, even with a Pete Carroll team and all the types, all the ways that they have penalties, this was not a characteristic, a characteristic of a Pete Carroll team in the boneheadedness of some of it, you know, um, the attitude of some of it. And so, um, to lose a super close game to what I thought was a good team, a game I thought they were going to lose anyways. Like that's the positive. They, they looked good against a good team and they just barely lost with some stupid stuff mixed in. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not that terrible of a loss all in all. Same question
1: to you, Evan, most encouraging, most discouraging. And, and I'll give you one thing for me. Like the most discouraging was actually the pass rush. Mm. That was like, and and the pass wasn't horrible overall. I mean, Alton Robinson had a strip sack, huge play. Like, there was a, the big sack at the end of the fourth, or five minutes to go in the fourth quarter from, it wasn't, was it Al Woods? No. Uh, uh, no, it was Al I mean, Woods. Yeah, and I mean, Carrie Hider, like, had a big play. Like, anyway, like, there were some good moments, but considering who they were going against, I just was like, it's gonna sound super dramatic, but I was crestfallen. Like I was so excited to have a consistently good pass rush, just eat against a shitty offensive line at home for the first time in like over a year with fans. Like I thought it was just gonna be like party time and it was just not that. So that was my my most discouraging thing in that game.
2: Yeah. That's funny.
1: Oh, go ahead Evan.
2: Yeah. I have a little bit of a rant to go on. So Nathan, yeah. do you want to jump in
4: first? I was gonna say I I kind of disagree with that quite a bit actually. I think between the the talent at receiver and the lack of talent at corner and how they loaded up right to stop the run, uh, given LJ Collier a lot of snaps, I think the the pass rush was fine. I thought I thought it was it was nothing. I definitely wasn't disappointed or or disappointed. Before you go,
3: I was gonna say I was disappointed initially, but then when you saw the snaps, it almost seemed. I found the rotations really weird during the game. And then when we saw Benson Mayo had 48 snaps, Alta Robinson had what 12 snaps? Mm-hmm. Taylor barely played. They went so heavy and collier didn't play, Collier and Chem didn't play the week before 25-30 snaps. So I just found the rotations. They went so in on stopping Henry, they
1: almost went away from their own strength. And I I, I gotta jump in and then I want to make sure Evan gets his rant in before Arif joins in here. I I, I do I agree with both of what you you and Nathan just said. So I, I, We're not actually as far apart as it might sound like. Part of why I'm discouraged is because it's become clear that the Seahawks have a very distinct plan for how they're going to stop the run and the priority of that and how they're going to stop the pass. And it's very rotation based and package based. And that is something that Tennessee in week two already figured out how to game plan around by going muddle huddle and not allowing them to rotate in pass rushers and keep the base package on the field. Like, it drives me crazy that Carlos Dunlap is not part of the base package or someone who's a better pass rusher is not part of the base package. I think that that's a real flaw in the strategy. Um, So anyway, go on, Evan.
2: Yeah, I'll start with the positive. I think Alton Robinson continues to make plays on like a per snap basis. He is, I don't know making a lot of plays on a per snap basis. So I think he's a, a young talent to keep an eye on and hopefully, you know, gets an increase in playing time, but guys, the more I've been thinking about this game this past week, and I tweeted this out, the more disappointed I am with DK Metcalf, not just from this game, actually through two weeks. He's uh. here's the thing to, you know, to be an alpha receiver like he is, I get it. You got to talk shit. You got to impose your will. I I get all of that. And that's all cool. And I support all of that, but you got to be dominating. It it felt erratic. It felt undisciplined. And it felt like he was lashing out in frustration instead of being strategic in his, in his uh, shit talk, I guess you could say. He's been, he's been absent for like six of eight quarters through two weeks. I get it. he's a third year receiver and you know out of third year receivers he's good, but for relative to our you know our hopes and our expectations for him, he has got to play better mentally, physically, we need him to be a leader on this team. and frankly, I was really disappointed with his performance on Sunday.
1: Yeah, I want to go. We've got our guest here. When I let him in, I- I'm going to drop a a super hot and probably a horrible take, uh, uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to drop it anyway, and then we'll come back to it. Um, I was a little bit disappointed to find out that DK was not um, on the injury report in a, in a meaningful way, mm-hmm. not because I was hoping that he was hurt. But my interpretation of that game was he was not playing well. He was having, he was was just, things were going wrong. And then it felt like he started like really making sure people knew he was hurt. Like, that's what it felt like that he wanted people to know like, yeah, this is because I'm hurt. And so for then it to turn out that maybe he wasn't that hurt. Like it's just a bad look. It, It was not, it was a really disappointing game for how he conducted himself and, uh yeah. We will talk about that in more detail, but before we do, um let's bring in our first guest of the year, uh someone who you know deserves far more high class company than he's going to get this evening. Uh and we had this discussion and and, and a good show and a good host would have had this discussion beforehand. I've only known you on Twitter, so I've never, we've never, I don't know if we have talked live, but I've known you in my head as Arif Hassan. Is that the correct pronunciation before we go on? Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> no, no,
5: no, that's not the, please tell us what the <laughs> correct pronunciation No, no, you got it. That's, that's what I go by It's just, if you ever go to like, uh, an Arabic speaking country or a Muslim dominant country, that's not how they're going to pronounce it, but that's how I pronounce it. So you're fine. Okay.
1: All right. All yeah. right. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it. It's important to me that we actually because Evan if you don't know this about Evan pronounces every name incorrectly. So, that it, does not impair- shock me at all.
5: <laughs>
2: I was convinced it was Arif before you joined.
5: Oh, perfect. Okay, I... no one pronounces it like that. That's great <laughs> That's classic. Good. Yeah.
1: Well, welcome to the show, uh, Arif. It, it's uh it's been a long and storied history with you and the Seahawks. And for a lot of people, they think of you as part of Seahawks Twitter. Um, as part of your welcoming in, would you uh, uh, tell the audience here and the folks that don't know you, how you became like a quasi like official member of Seahawks Twitter?
5: OK, well, uh the law, the short version of the long story is no idea was against my will. The (laughs) the longer version is God, this goes all the way back to like 2013. So this is like ancient internet type, right? Um, back when the Seahawks traded for Percy Harvin and then later signed Kevin Williams and later signed Antoine Winfield, I wrote a couple of stories for field goals back when Danny Kelly was running it. And, uh, at that, by the time I, I wrote the third story which i believe was the anton winfield story. i think he was the final one of that group um which, which is great because he got like cut right like it didn't matter but um by the by that time people were like oh i mean you just write about the seahawks now and like you know it was kind of a funny joke at that time uh and they were all like really long stories right like they were like you know, I like compared Kevin Williams to like a Rav Four. I called Antoine Winfield a linebacker. Like, it, they were just like meandering, like Jackson bevan style, like just forever stories, right? And I, I mean, the fact that I was able to say that, I think, is maybe a bit of brain poisoning by itself. But, um, but yeah, I mean, like that was kind of the that was kind of the thing. And so they they like made fun of it. And then like somebody was like, "Hey, we should just bring him to Seattle for a game." Uh, and I was like, look, I'm not going to turn down like a free trip. Cause at the time I wasn't like working for anybody that would cover travel. I wasn't covering, you know, the team in a credential capacity. Right. So, um, I was like, look, if you do this, I'll, I'll go. Right. Like if you cover my expenses, I'm down. And, and so like they did that. And (laughs) And so I went, I went to Seattle. Uh, I went to like, I went to a spot where there were three Starbucks on the same intersection. I went to a real coffee shop uh i I of course went to the fish place pikes something right um also the guy that talked to me i like I, i was there for like half an hour the guy talked to me forever right um that guy ruled uh he he like hooked me up on like some discount super fresh crab on the way back like that place rocks like i know that seattle fans get really annoyed every time on monday night football they use it in the bumpers nah that place rules uh um, so so yeah and, and then the story just keeps going because the more i resist it, the more fun it is to talk about and so uh people will keep poking at it and i'll keep on insisting i don't really care that much for uh or against the seahawks and people are like well that's funny let's keep it going if i had embraced it the bit probably would have died honestly um <laughs> so the fact that it just kept going like i i think that that's like part of it so that's the longer version of the story and and now i'm like permanently ensconced in it plus i mean like i feel like My Twitter presence is like fun enough, right? Like not to toot my own horn, but like enough people follow me. I feel like I can say that, that like, it's just kind of like a fun set of interactions. Plus I like complain about it a lot. Like not just that I resist it, but I complain about it a lot. Like the time, like 8 million baby Yoda avatars showed up in my mentions. Like that's, that's, it's a good bit. I mean, I hated it, but it was, it's, it's like, you know, game recognizes game. That's a great bit.
2: That was one of my favorite moments in Seahawks Twitter history.
4: The only redeeming part of Baby Yoda was you getting a million Baby Yoda mentions.
5: (laughs) Yeah, honestly, right? (laughs) Well, like the thing is when Baby Yoda, like as if we don't mind talking about media for half a second, when Baby Yoda started, it was like, great. It's like, here's an adorable thing that's like engineered by scientists for people to love it, right? And then they were like, by the way, it's called Grogu. And, like, and it just went downhill from there. Like every media aspect of it, like, and season two wasn't as good as season one. It was fine. But like, you know, it just, it, it just goes downhill. And then there's like the overabundance of the meme. Uh, yeah. So like, that's probably the highlight of the baby Yoda phenomena from like a Twitter perspective, at least from my, my viewpoint. I concur. And, and uh, before we actually turn our attention to
1: actually talking about this upcoming game, uh, and since you've just established your Seahawks credentials, uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, how you became a Vikings fan and, and, uh, you know, covering them and also, um, talk to us a little bit about, uh, the cause that, that you'd like people to be aware
5: of tonight. Cause we want to make sure we get a chance to yeah no, people in the right absolutely. direction there. Uh, I'm going to, it's going to take me a little second to find the link. So let's see if I can, uh, double, uh, if I can, you know, multitask. Right. So, uh, yeah, um, Originally, I was not that big of a football guy like I just I wasn't into football in high school. I did that. I was on the debate team. My best friend was the center on our on our football team. And I made fun of it constantly. Right. Like it was just like a, a thing where, um, you know, I was like, look, we're both nerds. What are you doing here? Um, and when I went to college, you know, I, I tried joining the debate team. You know, the first year they didn't have one. The second year they started the debate team. And one of the people helping us uh, get it started. Um, was like, well, to be on this debate team, you have to join the fantasy football league. And I was like, well, that's silly. And I didn't really think about it. And then I get an email uh, saying that I've been like signed up for a fantasy football team. And that the draft is going to be like next week or something like that, maybe in two weeks, right? And I was like, well, my name is attached to my email. My name is attached to it. There's, I, well, I can't lose. And so I did research, right? I was like, okay, I can't, I can't go down, right? Like I want to win. And so I did research and, and I drafted a pretty decent team. I uh, ended up like third in the league that year or whatever. But I like that year, I got like crazy into it. It helped that it was like 2009. So it was like the Favre year where he just went off like 33 touchdowns, seven interceptions in the regular season. Um, and you know, that, that just hooks you, right? Like after, after like that win against San Francisco, I'm sure Seahawks fans remember that too, um, to, to Greg Lewis in the end zone. Like that's, that's addictive, right? So uh followed that and, um, By by the time 2011 rolled around, so in 2010, I ended up winning the league because I accidentally drafted Mike Vick. Great move. And uh, in 20, but so by 2011, like I'd already won the league, right? So like I am bought in. I'm like, I know about football and I love football. Let's see what people have to say about football. And at the time I was just like, yeah, I don't really like how people talk about it. So I wrote a couple of articles talking about my my problems with, or I should say blog posts, about my problems with the way sports media was running things. And uh, they got promoted to, the top of the daily so part of the SB Nation family, the daily Norseman front page. And then they asked me to be on their front page and write about them, um, like on a, on a more consistent basis. And I was like, yeah, man, I, I could do that. Sure. Uh, and, and then someone told me like, Hey, Arif, you should, uh, you should like look into doing this like professionally. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird, but I mean, you know, I like making money. And at the time I wasn't making very much money at all. I was in politics. I was working 80 hours a week. I was making under 25 a year. It was awful. It was terrible. Uh, and so I, I, quit that and, uh, I had, I had some savings from, from some other stuff, uh, built up beforehand, super lucky, very privileged, very happy about that. And, um, because of that, uh, I was able to, to take a job at the Bleacher Report. And then from there, I just kind of worked my way up. Uh, and I didn't get credentialed until I was with the athletic, which was three years ago, uh, in August. So, uh, you know, I just hit my three-year anniversary last month and I've been, I've been living the dream. This is the best job on the planet for someone like me. I love it um so that's how I got into into all of it um yeah I, I like I don't know what else to say it's it's oh, fantastic
1: that's a great story I can't tell you how many times I'm sure you get the same uh uh messages of people you know kids in college high school you know wanting to know how to get started and and I think hearing those stories are super important so people can kind of know how non-linear
5: it it can be oh, everyone's yeah. everyone's route is different the only thing that that anyone has in common is that they wrote a lot that's it yep yep absolutely and tell us about the lavender
1: rights project
5: yeah so uh if you want to donate using uh the promotion we're just going to mention i'll mention the link at the top here talk about it mention the link at the bottom so um the way to get matching funds so to maximize your donation is to use one of the bitly links so bit.ly slash lrp b-day as in birthday b-day 2021 and you go there you can either donate directly through facebook which is what links you or there's a post there that links you directly to their site both of those will lead to matching funds so to talk about the lavender rights project real quick uh, they service uh, the tacoma seattle area by providing uh, a number of services and workshops for uh, trans youth in that area and in particular they've recently begun to focus on an underrepresented and underserved part of that community within that community, which is already significantly underserved, which is Black and Indigenous trans youth in the Tacoma, Seattle area. Uh, And so they have done stuff like provide legal services um, and so that includes things like, uh, you know, defending them in court, uh, you know, name change uh, services. It also means, you know, fighting against various types of discrimination. We've only very recently been able to pass federal law that bars certain types, not all kinds, but certain types of discrimination against, uh, against trans people or people because of their um, gender identity. Uh, there's also, uh, they've also started something called the black trans task force, uh, which is, uh, at the moment it's, it's probably going to do a lot of things, but at the moment it's focused on finding ways, uh, to create new housing, um, income adjusted housing. So people only ever pay 30% of what their income is, uh, new housing for people, uh, for, for black and and people of color, uh, trans people within the Seattle area. Um, so I, I was able to talk to their executive director and and a couple of other people over the past couple of years, they've been great. They're fantastic people, uh, and they've been able to secure matching funds uh, this year for their fifth birthday, which is this week, which also happens to be the week right before my birthday on the 27th. So this is really great news. Um, and so if people could give to uh, the Lavender Rights Project in honor of what uh, other people in Seahawks are calling a reef week, which is a weird thing for me to like say, right? Like, hey, it's a reef week. Odd. Uh, but uh in, in honor of, of the Viking Seahawks uh, lead up to that week, if they could give to that and uh, be able to maximize their giving by through the matching funds bit. so they, so they match funds up to fifty percent. So if you give twenty dollars, the the matching organizations give ten dollars up to that mo- amount. So if you give forty dollars it's ten dollars, if you give fifty dollars, it's ten dollars. Um, so they can they can maximize the number of people who are able to take advantage of the matching funds. And again, that link is bits.ly so bit.ly/ lrpB day as in birthday. 2021 bit.ly slash LRPB day 2021.
1: And just for folks, it's in the chat and uh, also on my timeline. And I think most of the folks in the pod's timeline, so you can find it in any of those spots. All right, let's talk football. Let's talk football. Um, Jeff, kick us off. Sure. So yeah,
3: uh, obviously it is a reef week, so I'll start off with that. Um, It does feel like the Seahawks and Vikings play every year. So obviously you're very invested in Seahawks Twitter and you have a lot of relationships, but let me ask you this. What's your current perception from where you sit of where the Seahawks are now? And I know if you ask 10 different Seahawks fans, you'll get wildly different answers. So how do you view them from where you sit?
5: Uh, Good, not great, which is uh, I imagine frustrating because they've been great. Um, and, And they're, they're a completely different team from what they used to be, which makes it very difficult for people to talk about them, both in terms of the level of quality and the way that they play. They blitz a lot more now, especially because they have Jamal Adams. But the last two years, they have blitzed a lot more um, on defense. The defensive identity has changed. It's no longer a stale cover three, um, which was very fresh and new when, you know, 2013, 2015, right? Um, So that's the defensive stuff. Offensively, obviously, they're throwing it a little bit more. Um, They're throwing it early in games a little bit more. Um, The defensive personnel, obviously, and the offensive personnel have changed. The offensive line's a little bit better. Russ is taking advantage of that by holding onto the ball a little bit longer. But that leads to more explosive plays. Um, Very much an explosive play-focused team, right? DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. um, Takes advantage of broken plays a lot more than they used to just because – they occur more often because Russ is holding on to ball more, um, you know, that kind of stuff. So um, th- they still want to have an identity reminiscent of of a run first team. And they still will run the ball a lot. Right. Um, condensed formation. So I, there were a lot of comparisons in Vikings media between Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson. And those comparisons are very fair. They're both very escapable quarterbacks. Um, you know, Dalvin Tomlinson today talked about some of the differences between the two um, within those similarities. So like Russell Wilson is more likely to step up into the pocket. Kyler Murray is more likely to get out to the flats. Um, You know, that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, the offenses are different because Arizona wants to spread it out. You know, they've got four receivers on the field. The Seahawks are like, no, we've got two good receivers. We're good. Um, It doesn't matter that we don't have a tight end. We'll put three on the field. It doesn't matter. You know, that kind of stuff. So um, that's that's my perception of the Seahawks. They're a good team. They're more offense forward than I think the coaches want them to be. But that's who they are. Uh, and the defense has to have ramped up the pressure, and they're, and they're doing that with a little bit more blitzing. Not like Baltimore-level blitzing, but much more blitzing than, than when they were uh, a cover-three team.
2: So as you're probably aware, we stole uh, Sean McVay's boy, Shane Waldron, this offseason. Um, if you were Shane Waldron entering this week, how do you attack the Vikings' defense? What areas are weak you know, potential for exploitation?
5: Yeah, uh, I, I, the, the corners aren't fast. There's not a fast corner, right? And like the Seahawks have a pair of very fast receivers, right? One of them is quick, one of them isn't, but they're both very fast. Uh, and, you know, Patrick Peterson, Bashad Breland, they're just not speed guys. Mackenzie Alexander in the slot, not a speed guy. There's not a speed corner on the roster. Uh, and so that's that, I mean, I would just take advantage of that, right? If if the Seahawks have the capability of extending plays and they do like Russ is holding to the ball a lot less uh, in the, his time in pocket is, is less than it has been, I think ever, but you know, it's been two weeks that might even out. but you know, he's getting rid of the ball faster. It's still longer than most of the rest of the league, but it's much faster than it used to be. Um, take advantage of that. Hold onto the ball longer. The Vikings have two pass rushers. One of them is a nose tackle. Uh, and, and the other one's a deal Hunter. So if you can block them up, right, you're probably fine. Uh, get rid of the ball uh, l- late enough in the process that lock or Matt Cap is going to beat their guy. Obviously the Vikings are going to adjust to that. They're going to move their safeties around. They might play more cover four than they have recently, you know, all of those things change. But I think the beginning of that game plan is to take advantage of how much uh, the speed advantage they have at receiver.
2: I was so, uh, just real quick. One follow-up. Yeah. How has Patrick Peterson looked through two
5: weeks? Uh, he's looked fine. I think he's looked actually kind of above average, which is kind of my prediction. The Vikings would adjust what they were doing because Arizona was misusing him last two years. Yeah, um, He looks fine, but like the, he hasn't been tested very much in part because Bashad Reeland has been struggling a lot. So other teams have been throwing against him. But, you know, the, the, the Cardinals want to throw to DeAndre Hopkins and Patrick Peterson was on DeAndre Hopkins all the time. They only had four targets, right? So within that scope, he actually looked pretty good. Hopkins has below... He, like, hit below his his receiving uh, uh, over-under in that game. He's hit below his year, career average. Right now, he's the third most targeted target uh, on the Cardinals' offense, which is very unusual. He was the most targeted receiver as a percentage in all of last year for any receiver in football. So uh, they want to target him, and they didn't. So he's from that perspective, he's playing fine. But a lot of it is because they just throw it up a shot, Breland. So uh, related on the corner
1: stuff, since you brought that up, What's going on with Cam Dantzler and and he he's bad. He got 16 snaps in this game. Um, why and and is that going to increase or or what's going on there?
5: Uh, so um, it was kind of a glib answer that he's bad. But um, so not only did he lose, so there's a starting competition between him and Breland and Camp. He lost that competition, which is fair because Brigland actually looked really good in camp. Like the, the struggles that we're seeing in the regular season are somewhat surprising, given how Grady looked in the preseason, minus one Tyreek Hill play, how Grady looked in camp. And he's going up against like Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen. He went up against KJ Hamler and Jerry Judy. Like in camp, he was going up against good receivers and he looked good. Um, Dancer didn't. And so he lost the starting job, but it's not just that. He also lost the backup job to Chris Boyd. Like he was just so inconsistent that the Vikings would rather have Chris Boyd out there. And the Vikings... Put Chris Boyd out there more often uh, in in the preseason and the regular season. They had a dancer. The only reason dancer even was active for the game, he was inactive week one. The reason he was active for this game is because Harrison Hand, um, their backup nickel corner, was uh, was injured and and now he's on the COVID list. So dancer was going to be active again regardless. Um, but he was injured and so they needed dancer and they were like, well, dancer has to play special teams even though he doesn't. That's the reason he was inactive the week before in part. Uh, and so. You know, we saw a couple of injuries to uh, Breland in the game. I think he had two injuries in the game. Um, And that led to both Boyd and Dancer playing a little bit. And in the game, Dancer played lights out. So we'll see kind of how that translates in, uh, you know, going forward. Um, My understanding, and, you know, we don't get to watch practice anymore like we did in training camp. My understanding is that Dancer has still struggled in practices. uh, And that's going to kind of define what's happening going forward. But after, you know, it's only 16 snaps, but after a really good 16 snaps on a couple of targets, you know, that's probably going to be in consideration if Breland continues to struggle.
4: Uh, So before the pod, we were kind of joking around about um, Mike Zimmer and his future and kind of what's going on there. Um, We were saying that, you know, basically the Vikings are the Seahawks, if the Seahawks had Kirk Cousins instead of Russell Wilson. Um, I guess one, do you kind of think, is that a, is that a fair way to think of the Vikings? And, you know, Seahawks fans, like you said, were you they, they were great, now they're just more good. Um, a lot of frustration, a lot of discussion around Pete Carroll, and is he the right choice going forward? Um, you know, with Zimmer maybe uh his job security being a little up in the air, do you think he is the
5: right coach longer term, or do you think that a change is going to need to be made there? I, I think that there's something to that. Like if you compare the Vikings 2017 defense to the Seahawks 2015 defense. I mean the Seahawks probably come out a- ahead, but like it's it's pretty close. I think just in terms of effectiveness. Obviously the schemes are different, but that's not what you asked. Um, if they had Russell Wilson instead of Kirk Cousins in 20, 20- or I guess Case Keenum in 2017, they probably beat the Eagles. They make the Super Bowl. They might win. I don't know. Um, so there's there's probably something there. Both run forward coaches. Uh, the Vikings were a little bit more aggressive about using play action with with the the Kubiaks, uh, you know, that they had. Um, but yeah, very similar, right? Like feels outdated, loves to run the ball. P. Carroll is is a little bit more poke the bear in terms of uh making fun of the analytics people not like necessarily intentionally but like he'll talk about the rule of 53. It's, Zimmer, it's
4: intentional. It's 100% intentional. Oh, okay, well then yeah, sure.
5: He'll talk about the rule of 53 and Zimmer's just like, "Yeah, you just run the ball to win. I don't know what's the deal." Well, like it's like it's to him it's just like that's what you do. There's I don't need a number, right? That sort of thing. But um yeah, philosophically there's some some similarities. Zimmer defensively I think is a lot more adaptive and more hands-on right than Pete Carroll, obviously more hands-on, but like the, the, the defense evolves every single year. It's, it's a light, it's like bleeding edge defensive stuff. Like it's not Brandon Staley, like lights ahead, right. Or light years ahead, but it's like, it's incredible. Like what he does um, with the changing personnel and, and how people adapt to his rules. But yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of similarities. I think that both teams have extremely weird things happen to them all the time um especially in games i think that but the difference is that with the seahawks the weird things just kind of turn out usually like the the games that go like bizarre you're just like well yeah but at least we won right with the vikings it's just like this again like they lose the weird games like not always but like they're like 90 of the time it feels like right like they'll have a minneapolis miracle but they'll also have like a shank at the bank right like it's just the weird games are bad that's the like with the Seahawks, you could just be like, yeah, we're weird. It's cool. We got a ring. And with the Vikings, it's like, yeah, it's pain again. Uh, this one's new. This pain is new. This one feels more like a serrated knife, like a bread knife. I don't know why I put on like a voice there, but like, that's, you know, that's how I feel.
1: That's, that, that, that's great. And, and actually it resonates. I have a couple of questions for you. Um, one is just, a nuts and bolts. So, Dalvin Cook, obviously a key part of the the Vikings attack, uh, did get injured in the game against the Cardinals, left, came back, left again uh, with an ankle issue, and then did not practice today.
5: Uh, What's your understanding of of his situation uh, heading into this game? The expectation, from my understanding, right, the expectation is that uh, he'll be he'll be playing right that that could change obviously as, as practices continue and his and recovery goes at a different schedule than maybe what they anticipate but the expectation is that he'll play the first injury was just a stinger um came back uh the second injury was the ankle issue that, that popped up on the injury report um so they think he'll play obviously if you watch the game after he came back from the ankle injury he just did not look as explosive he did not look as quick um and i think that played a role right like i think that um, I mean, there's like a 30 yard run waiting for him and he, and he wasn't able to take advantage of it sort of thing. Um, but I, I think that they, they anticipate, um, him playing, uh, they, I mean, they, they love playing him. Like Alexander Madison is not bad. And they were just like, but why would we have him on the field? This guy's good for 30. Yep. Yep. Well, the
1: Seahawks certainly, uh, have
5: had, a their share of,
1: of running backs uh, in the last week. So, um, so the other question I had for you is looking at the Vikings team, something that stuck out to me was the left side of their line seems like a disaster all the way, maybe even through to their center. Um, Talk to us a little bit about pass protection for the Vikings and Kirk Cousins has been excellent so far. So he seems to have been able to you know, manage it, but um, they they do struggle quite a bit on third down. And I assume some of that has to do with pass protection.
5: So first thing, this is probably the best Vikings offensive line we've seen in a decade. Like, like if you're 100% correct, and I'll talk about some of the nuances there about the left side of the line being a disaster. That's fine. It's better, right? Like, so there, there's that, right? Second thing is actually, I think the left guard is, is quite good. Ezra Cleveland has played pretty well. He had a bad moment in week one, bad moment or two in week one. Uh, I had played a really good game last week, Um, had a couple of mistakes that were both in the run game. Not really that concerned about it. Uh, Rashad Hill is interesting because if you took like five random snaps from those two games and looked at them, you'd be like, yeah, it's pretty good tackle. And then like his bad snaps are catastrophically bad, right? They're like sack in 1.2 seconds bad. It's just like the preseason sack he gave up to Quiddy Pay um, the, the, the biggest mistakes that he made against uh, the Bengals, the holding penalties. Um, so, you know, which is like kind of the name of the game of an offensive lineman to take like you remember more for your mistakes than your successes. Um, but there is some degree of variance, right? Because if you give up immediate pressure that changes, uh, things a little bit more than if you give up pressure over the long time or over a longer period of time, or if you misjudge where the quarterback is in the pocket or, you know, something along those lines. Um, so, for the most part, when you see him play and you take a look at kind of what a pass rusher is doing to him, you're not, you don't think that that pass rusher is getting stonewalled or anything like that, but you're not overly worried as, a, as an offensive line watcher, right? If you're watching the offense uh, until it happens and then it's just something that's just bad, right? I suspect what's happening is that. Um, on, on downs where pass rushers want to break out their most successful move or the move that they see is available to them based off of their film study, that's when they break out. And he doesn't really have much of a counter to it. It's kind of like when, um, what's his name, Adrian Claiborne got Chaz Green for like six sacks. It was just like, yeah, I saw a thing. It just kept working. So I just did it again, never stopped it. I think it's kind of like that, where it's like Rashad Hill has a critical mistake or two that the defensive linemen are picking up on. Garrett Bradbury continues to be bad at pass protection. Had some really great moments in the run game, don't care. He's bad at pass protection. Um, some of it is strength issues, like he'll just get forklifted, right? Um,
1: we have no it,
5: familiarity with centers that can't pass, protect, or get over. <laughs> right, so, right, right. Okay, keep going uh i i don't know like puna ford is like a weird i mean obviously he's, he's like 510 right but like he's like a weird guy to figure out like he's strong but like sometimes i just don't know if like that strength translates to a particular center or not right like like if, if michael pierce goes up against Garrett bradbury he's strong and he's 360 pounds i think he's listed at 335 he's 360. um you know so i know that he's going to overwhelm Garrett bradbury right but, like, if Bradbury wa- – and, and, and Bradbury wants to move him in the run game, he's not going to be able to. He has to move and get up to the second level and take on a linebacker, right? With Puna Ford, I, like, I don't know, right? Like, you know, he's strong. He's stronger than, you know, a lot of 310-pound guys. Um, and and he might, like, forklift Garrett Bradbury and pass protection. Garrett Bradbury might overwhelm him. I have no idea how that's going to go down. I don't suspect it's going to be great, um, but that's kind of it. On the right side of the line, Oli Udo has been fantastic. Brown and Neil has actually not been great, but that's relative to him. He's a good right tackle. Um, the first three years that he's had in the league were fantastic. Last year was a bit of a down year this year. I would characterize as a bit of a down year, but down year for him is better than the Vikings offensive line has been ever been able to secure. So um, yeah, right side of the line is is a little bit better than the left, but I do think Ezra Cleveland is playing well. Got it. That's super helpful. So yeah, uh... You've answered
1: a ton for us. Give us a bunch to, to think about and chew on. Um, before we let you go, what's your expectation of what happens in this game? How are you seeing this, this game uh, unfold?
5: Um, You know, I, I normally, I just kind of default to a Seahawks win here just because a, the Seahawks beat them like seven times in a row. Uh, B they've got the better quarterback and that's usually a pretty good heuristic. I actually think the Vikings have a chance here, not just because they're at home. I'm going to predict a Vikings win maybe against the odds. Um, Watching that Tennessee game, and maybe and it's a one-game sample. Who knows? I thought that in that first half, like you know, aside from the fact that they were successfully stopping Derrick Henry, I thought that was pretty skillful. You know, for a while, obviously. um I thought in that first half the Seahawks were getting lucky, and then they paid for it later in in the fourth quarter, right? Um, I, I like, I don't know if that's going to hold up, right? Like an AJ Brown drop, a weird Julio Jones call in the like, you know, who knows, right? Um, so I think that that defense is a little worse off than what the statistics show. And the Vikings offense is frankly, it's rolling. So, um, and that's with Justin Jefferson having like a 15% drop rate, which I don't expect to continue. Um, So I I think that the Vikings offense will be able to hang. Uh, And I think with, you know, the, the kind of the home field advantage, the fact that the defense seems to be like average to below average, I am going to call a Vikings win by like a small amount. Obviously it's going to be a weird game. Two weird teams are involved. Um, but I'm going to say it's a Vikings win. And, you know, honestly, that's just more interesting for me to, to write about a one and two team versus an and three team.
1: <laughs> certainly is. Hey, Arif, it has been great having you on. And for folks that did that missed it earlier, um, you know, it's Arif week on CX Twitter. And there is a worthy cause that he's promoting the lavender rights project. The link is in the chat and it's on our timeline. Give Arif a follow. uh, And I should have just had this uh, ready, but let me uh, make sure I've got it. It is at Arif, A-R-I-F-H-A-S-A-N-N-F-L. Again, at A-R-I-F-H-A-S-N-N-F-L. Arif, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. All right, so that was uh, Arif Hassan telling us a little bit about the Vikings. Um, Anything jump out to you guys uh, and what you heard? Anything that surprised you? Anything that encouraged you? Anything that discouraged you based on what you heard?
3: Jeff? I was a little surprised how much he thought the Vikings offense was rolling. I thought they had a terrible first game. I don't, I watched that Bengals game where they lost in overtime and they couldn't get out of their own way. And it was a lot of offensive line. I think the first three snaps of the year were false starts. So the last game against Arizona, I do agree that they, they look great. They, they should have easily beat Arizona and Arizona's now talked, everyone talks about Kyler Murray. They didn't miss a field goal. It was 37 yards. They win the game. So I was a little surprised to hear him say that, but no, I thought I thought everything – I know a lot of people in Toronto that are Vikings fans, and for some whatever reason, maybe it's Randy Moss, just like three of the guys I talk to the most about football are all Vikings fans. So I've been hearing about that team. Not only do we play them every year, and these guys just hate Kirk Cousins. They can't stand him. They, they just, they're, they're just waiting for him to leave. And like they can barely watch their team. So I'm very interested. I'm always curious to see how he plays because he's so – up and down he's never beat russell wilson in the nfl so like, he's got a good offense they're they're a different offense this year they're more three receiver than two tight end they're a big 11 personnel team now and justin jefferson's been their third best receiver so far this year which is quite odd he was one of the best players in the league last year so it's a big game for the seattle secondary
1: which did not look good last game yeah well it's funny you look at the numbers for the vikings guys Kirk cousins is thrown for 600 yards uh five touchdowns no interceptions uh it's completing 72 percent of his passes uh dalvin cook has almost 200 yards rushing averaging almost you know over four and a half yards of carry uh you know you've got justin jefferson and, and adam thielen that everybody already knows and then they got a new guy kj osborne who's a rookie who's actually leading them in receiving yards 167 yards through two games um and so, you know, Adam Thielen already has three touchdowns. That offense, I mean, there's a lot of good numbers there, but then there's this weird thing where the Vikings offense, like, it's top 10 in most things, but they're 31st in third down percentage. Uh, and so it's like. Sounds familiar. It's weird, right? It's it's weird. Yeah. Um, I mean, Nathan, when you look at the Vikings and and you have some idea, like their defense is actually like not doing so hot either they' they're, they're almost the opposite of their offense. They're pretty much dead last in everything, except that they are second in the league and third down percentage against, uh, you know, and second in the league and, and sack percentage. Uh, what what are what are the matchups like? How, how do you see the Seahawks matching up with this Vikings team?
4: Uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, like, uh, Arif, you know, heaps some pretty heavy praise on Zimmer as a a defensive mind. And, uh, I definitely see a lot of that and I get that, but it does also feel like they've been holding together some pretty poor talent with, uh, you know, duct tape and band-aids and stuff. So, um, his assessment of the offensive line made me pretty confident, um, to have that many guys that were question marks, um, against you know this team with all of the pass rushers and and he focused on Puna and what Puna maybe they'll do as a pass rusher. You know, I think uh the bigger problem if if he can get out there and is healthy is going to be Brian Monet. Um I feel like we've seen him be fairly dominant uh in the first two weeks. Um and so he could give uh that center, you know, he's he's given a lot of people some problems right now. So hopefully he's healthy and can get out there and take advantage of that. Um, so yeah I mean um, I I don't see a lot to be really scared of um, that the offense is good enough probably to, to not let it get run away uh, on them. But uh, you know, this one, if they lose, I'm going to be, the concern meter is going to move a lot further than it did uh, last week.
1: Interesting. Evan, I see you nodding your head. Why?
2: Yeah. I just think the NFC West is so insanely razor thin. Um, you know, there's some tough matchups this weekend in our division. I think the Packers play the Niners, the Cards play the Jags, and the Rams play the Bucks, the Bucks. Yeah. So, it's not inconceivable that the Niners and the Rams could both lose their games, which would put Seattle tied in second place. I'm assuming that the Cards beat the Jacks. So, I don't even remember what your question was, but <laughs> Literally, That's the NFC West is so tight that these games matter. You just,
3: it's, yeah, it was weird last week. None of the NFC West teams looked particularly good. In fact, I thought most of them looked pretty underwhelming.
2: The Niners looked like garbage.
3: Numbers that Shield pointed out today, like they were pathetic.
2: Hey, man, um, he actually had a really high completion percentage. And you know,
3: I was watching that game, he I think could, he could not complete a screen pass.
2: It was hey, Jeff, we're trying to protect Trey Lance okay this is for his this is about protecting a young zero.
3: why would you change quarterbacks change yeah this
1: talk I'm gonna stop this. So I gotta ask guys compare compare the Vikings to the Titans tell me compare and contrast where, where are the Vikings different than the Titans? I'll kind of cue it up. you've got a uh, a good quarterback you know, uh, some will call Kirk cousins, mediocre, but you know, he, he, he's, he's above average. Um, you've got at least a pair of elite receivers. You've got a elite running back. You've got a questionable offensive line. You've got, uh, a, a mediocre defense. What I see is the difference is that the Vikings actually have a, have better talent on defense. You've, you at least you still have a Harrison Smith and a uh what's the other safety um what's his name the the good one (laughs) uh i'll look it up but uh you've got you know daniel hunter you've got you know michael pierce you've got eric kendricks like there is some talent that the titans don't have so i look at this and i'm like this is a better version of the titans in a lot of ways and they're 0-2 and they're playing at home for their season opener the first time in front of fans in over a year why should we be expecting the Seahawks to play better against this team than they did against the Titans
4: I don't agree that they're a better version of the Titans okay tell me why I think they're a worse version of the Titans uh I I don't think Kirk is as good as Tannehill um I mean I don't think I don't know that either Thielen or uh Jefferson is as good as Julio or A.J. Brown um and now, so maybe I'm off base here. Has the Titans offensive line always been this bad? It's the like, same offensive
1: line they've had. It's actually, it, it was better when Luan was.
3: Well, they had Luan and Conklin a couple of years ago.
4: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I guess that's maybe what I'm thinking of is because they lost Conklin. then. so, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean defensively, I think the Vikings are, are better. Um, But I think that, you know, on offense, you know, I don't know, there's a huge difference, but I think kind of across the board at all the, you know, important skill positions um, I I would say the Titans are like 10% at least better. Um, So, you know, offensively I have quite a bit more respect for the, the Titans.
3: I would agree with that. I would agree offensively for sure. I think everything Nathan said, I think they're almost better at every position. And I think Henry's a better back than Cook. But defensively, one thing that's interesting is right before – when the Seattle were rolling last year in that offense in the first eight games, the one team that gave them trouble was Zimmer. And they had to pull some stuff out of their ass to win that game last year. And Russell's had some weird games against Minnesota, some amazing ones, some streaky moments they they did pretty well against him last year and they they were the, one of the first teams that did that too high look that really slowed down their passing game so i think defensively they have more pieces but they're definitely not as physical but defense like hunters are really good pass rusher. tennessee doesn't have anyone but weirdly enough tennessee with all these defensive linemen are not doing great against the run and their, their secondary is pretty bad so I don't see a huge difference
1: between the Titans and the Vikings as well. <sighs> Interesting. So Xavier Woods, by the way, was the safety I was I was struggling to remember. But um, I think in agree thing... to disagree a little bit on the receivers. I think I think you guys are selling Thielen and and Jefferson pretty short, but um, especially where Julio Jones is in his career. Um, and yeah, but that said. I think we can all agree that they're plenty good enough to victimize the Seahawks corners. Like oh. so, so from a so from a, yeah. a, a team makeup perspective, I don't I don't see a big difference in terms of what the formula would be for the Titans to beat the Seahawks versus the Vikings to beat the Seahawks.
4: Should we, let's play a game really fast. Um, I'm going to run through the Seahawks schedule, and you guys tell me whether you think the Seahawks corners have an advantage uh, over. <laughs> Nobody,
1: nobody. Oh, well, let's
4: run through. Let's, let's okay. So, Vikings, no, no, Niners, no, no. no. Rams, no. no, Dealers, no, no, okay, Saints, yes, no, yeah, Saints are probably yes, really. I mean, especially oh, yeah, with that. have you seen the Saints offense? Yeah, and especially with uh, will they have Michael Thomas at that point? I think he can come off pup that week,
3: yeah, he yeah. Does.
4: I forgot oh, he was injured. He may, he may not actually play though. He he's just eligible to come off. Packers. Oh, uh, no. Uh, no, no, sorry, sorry. Jaguars. No. Mm. I honestly don't think I can name a Jaguars receiver right now. Um <laughs> uh, so. Packers. Definitely not one of them. Yeah, definitely not one. I think Devontae uh, uh Adams chips that Cardinals? No. Washington football team?
1: Nope.
4: Scary Terry. I uh, we did well th- with him last year. Texans. Yeah. Uh, bears? Yes. Yeah, sure. Lions? Definitely. Okay, so I think we got like three or four. <laughs> we have like three or four just in the second. Oh, yeah. That's actually better than I thought.
3: Yeah, Which some point? might be optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I can watch much more tray flowers anymore i can't take
1: <laughs> well so is this the week is this i mean i thought mike salk oversold his interpretation of what pete said on the pete carroll show this week that it's and i thought some of the press did too that that you know the corners are quote battling and that's a sign that pete's saying that that they're going to start looking at sydney jones and uh what's the kid from the jets that they they brought bless in? Austin or something. Yeah, bless Austin. Bless. Do you guys do you guys buy that? Do you think that we're going to see Sydney Jones or Austin taking any snaps this week?
4: Anybody? Uh, I don't... no. It's possible. I don't think. I hope so. I'm not a no. I don't know that I would bet on it, but he also I mean, said they that they haven't been able to get in much practice time, and they
3: haven't really done enough of rotating. I'm just I'm so I've seen enough. I've we know I think it was someone I think it was Nathan said players don't change a couple of years ago. Trey Flowers is it's just that guy who's just always around the ball and never makes a play and just gets beat. I can't hear anymore about like how he's turned a corner. I I think he sucks.
2: Do the Seahawks really expect to make it throughout the entire year with him? No, Are they serious no. about it? Are they serious about a run? I mean, Pete Pete also mentioned that got
1: less discussion. He mentioned Trey Brown coming off injury, you know, after next week. And I think that – I think Pete is enamored with Trey Brown and is, is counting the days. So, I think fans are looking at Sidney Jones. I think Pete's thinking about Trey Brown. So, I don't know. I don't see the answer on this. I was excited about them getting Sidney Jones. I think it's a good add. I don't think he, you know, I'm not counting on him to change the trajectory of that cornerback group, like in a meaningful way.
4: Yeah. I mean, I would say it's probably not fair to like, I mean, they didn't go into this year thinking us oh, could be Trey flowers. Like they've kind of ended up here by default, right? Witherspoon sucked. Um, Trey Brown got hurt. You know, they made a couple additions, you know, after the 50 or right at, and after the 53, you got set. So they, they have tried to take some swings here and, you know, I think this just defaulted at this point to Trey. Yeah. Marius Randall didn't work. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, by the way, did
1: four snaps in the Steelers game and gave up uh, in four cover snaps. He gave up a 61 yard pass. Did you
3: see the Henry Ruggs? Yeah. The Henry Ruggs touchdown right over. Him.
2: <laughs> just a reminder that we do have Patreon questions.
1: Okay. Okay. Sorry. Let's take some Patreon questions. Well,
3: um, I don't
2: have it up just yet. I was, oh, come on. on, hurry up. So, in a <laughs>
3: second, can they just sign Richard Sherman already? <sighs> it's so infuriating.
2: That's
3: He's going to go to Tampa. He's going
1: to go to Tampa, 100%. He's going to be good. That's going to be the thing that a uh, basically quote free move that they can make without giving up picks or uh, you know any kind of um, player capital, anything. All they have to do is give them money. And he's going to go play from someone else. And they're not going to have any option to upgrade that position.
4: All right. I'm going to put a hot take out into the world. The reason that they haven't signed Richard Sherman is because they know DK's ego can't handle going up against him in practice every day.
1: (laughs) No way.
4: That's a hundred. That's it.
1: No way. We'll
4: just be a puddle if he has to line up against Richard Sherman.
1: You know what drives me crazy is all the takes out there that Richard Sherman is like no good anymore. He's washed.
4: Like
2: that's major revisionist history.
1: I think that's just crazy. I will go as far as to say like Sherman is there's no way he's as good as he used to be and injury issues all that stuff's totally fair. Richard Sherman never was Never was a cornerback that got by on his physical prowess. He was always a thinking cornerback. He was always reading the quarterbacks. He was always jumping routes. He he had three steps on people because he knew where they were going to be trying to go. His brain's no you know slower than it was, you know, a while ago. He still understands how offenses are trying to attack him, and he still would be in the right place 20 times more often. Than Trey Flowers is. Like, oh, it's just crazy to me to think that Richard Sherman is washed. It's just bullshit. You know what's been bubbing me out?
3: Um, the more I think about this, it, Jalen Ramsey went for like the same price as Jamal Adams.
1: Why couldn't they have made that trade? Yeah. Did we we'll want to talk about, about that this tomorrow? week? No, no. We could talk about Jamal, but but I know, you know.
3: it was two firsts, and I think I th- I think it might have been I don't know if they third was involved.
2: So let's start off with a Patreon question, because this is a really good one. You can only pick one player that overproduces or produces to your expectations or hopes on Sunday. And, you know, it would seriously move the meter on your optimism scale. Which player is it? It could be defense or offense. Evan, typically we give
4: the... the patreon member a shout out when they give us good questions
2: oh this was uh dj burnett i okay. think is how you say his name
4: all right and then i didn't actually hear your questions so. <laughs> <laughs> he's so upset that you read it so poorly you didn't even listen yeah to
2: i was like stumbling all over the the question so you can only okay let me rephrase this pick one player to produce really well on sunday which would
1: who do you want to play well on Sunday? Is that the question?
4: I'm going to pull up the slack so we can do
2: it. I literally can't even fucking speak right now.
1: <laughs> Jesus.
2: And on that note, give the show
1: a like and please subscribe. Sign <laughs> up at patreon.com slash Hawk to get your opportunity to
2: have. I don't know why I can't talk right now.
1: By Evan Hill. <laughs>
2: I can't. I can't rephrase this question. So he,
3: how he is fra- DJ Burnett a hard one to burn?
2: No, 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 no. It's it's the way he phrased it. I'm trying to rephrase it into a diff- slightly different question. I can't figure it out.
1: Read um, his question exactly as he wrote
2: it. To you guys, what's something you, you would see Sunday that would boost your confidence back up in this team besides just a win? Like how the Dolphins. Okay, that's enough. Stop there. That's, a vi- that's a enough. Smile. Just stop. <laughs>
1: Jeff, what's your answer?
3: Um, I would like to see the deception and the motion and the easy throws, to tight end, and the screen game. But Beard, what I would like to see is I want to see the run game and the pass game be married together again. One of the things that irked me in the game last week is that they felt like separate entities again. And there was a whole argument about Pete Carroll and what he said today. To me, what made that offense work so well is how everything opened up because everything was married together. And I want to see everything connected. On offense.
1: My answer is pass rush. Cause it's always going to be pass rush. I love pass rush and I'll be encouraged if it's good. And in addition to that, it would be Alton Robinson and Daryl Taylor, but specifically Alton Robinson getting more snaps and continuing to be a beast. And if Taylor, Darryl Taylor, Daryl Taylor joins that all the better.
2: So what day do we start protesting outside of the VMAC If Alton Robinson does not get more snaps. <sighs>
4: How the hell? Way off here. Daryl Taylor is better.
2: I'm staging a picket.
1: How the hell does he strip sack a player? This is a coach that's all about the ball. Everything's about the ball. He gets like one of his first snaps and he sacks and causes a turnover Mm -hmm. and barely plays. What the fuck?
3: You don't think they could (laughs) have used a second and twenty or something
1: in the second half? All
4: right, Nathan, what's your answer? I mean, I guess I want to see DK look good. good I want to just see, like, I don't need him to go crazy or anything. Let's just get a good clean game.
2: I'd like to see a, I'd like to see Jamal force a turnover.
4: Good answer
3: too. Yeah. He's making no impact. We,
2: you know, he's not playing poorly, but he's not playing up to the level that like we need him to. Mm -mm, You know what I mean?
3: Yeah. I, Uh, those comments from pete were so concerning about jamal this week
2: wait what did he say
3: where he's well you we were talking about where he said they still haven't figured out how to utilize oh to me that brought up jimmy graham and percy harvin memories i could spend an hour talking about some of the bad coaching they've done and the indictment of a lot of the moves they've made
2: yeah i don't know if i was reading too much into that comment but
3: I found, I just found it brought back memories of you heard what Jimmy said today about his time here. Um, they've made these high profile trades and they haven't seemed to have a plan of how to utilize these guys. Cause when Jamal played with Todd Bowles and as much as Greg Williams was a fuck up, they had a very specific design for him that worked very well. He was a different player that we haven't really seen other than that Atlanta game. And I think that's an indictment on the coaches.
2: Yeah. Nathan, you want to take the next question? Since I can't read, yeah, <laughs> sure,
4: sure. So we have we have two here: one from uh, Kitty B, one from uh, Mister Hurlbutt, uh, and, and both of them is just what is going on with DK. What do you think about DK? Talk about DK, uh, Brian. Why don't you kick us off on that? Um. Yeah,
1: I, I feel like. This offense doesn't, it is not yet looking like it meshes with his strengths. And I was really hopeful that what we we're going to start seeing is just bread and butter DK plays. Ones that, are like, you know, you, you know, that play where the Seahawks, I'm sure, you know, Maddie or someone could tell us what it's called, but like they do a play action. The tight end rolls back to help with pass, but it's a max protect and Russell goes back. And that is a Tyler Lockett play. It is every, every first four or five games of the year, the Seahawks get like three or four 60 plus yard touchdowns off of that play. It's a Tyler play. Where's the DK play? Um, And, and I just don't see it. So I just don't feel like they've found his, his repeatable play. And I would hope it'd be the slant um, at least he's a big dude should be able to body that up, but um, we haven't found that. And honestly, like I've got to question, a little bit of his, like his mindset coming into the season, like he's giving off super entitled, arrogant vibes. And last year he was giving off super alpha confident vibes and it's a fine line. And, uh, yes, I feel like he's a little bit out over his skis. And uh, I'd love to see him earn his way back to having that swagger and maybe stop assuming that he deserves it.
4: I mean, yeah. I I don't know that I see entitled. Um, I definitely see frustration. And uh, I think – I mean, it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be visibly frustrated. Um you know, I think uh so see Mike's spin move, Griff was uh talking about this, he's Maddie's, you know, counterpart. Um, talking about how the under center game is is maybe a little different with the timing on DK and some of the longer reps and stuff than some of the shotgun stuff that they were running last year. And so maybe that's part of it, and he's adapting and um you know, I think the thing that just has to get better is you can't have the penalties. You can't have the self-destruction, right? Um, Which I don't think we've seen him self-destruct so much. But, you know, he did have that holding and then the the, the roughness penalty and all that. And that's the stuff that can't happen. Beyond that, I mean, to me, the on-field stuff, the demeanor Um, it doesn't worry me too much is, but you know, at some point they have to work through it and he has to be a little bit better. Um, I also think that we're forgetting a little bit that he was pretty good in that first game. Um, not like amazing 1500 yards good, but I think he still caught like what five balls for 60 yards and a touchdown. Like if that's your bad game, that's, that's pretty good. Right. So I don't know. I'm, I'm a little frustrated. I made the joke about Sherman DK. Uh, but I really am a little frustrated with, the the how quickly it seems like fans have really turned on him like this dude was amazing for for two years and like you said brian like he was you know a model teammate and he's had some frustration the first two games and he made a big mistake in this tennessee game but it's just so surprising to see so many people just seemingly anxious to turn on him and start you know Throwing I, the label on him. I don't
1: think I it's like that. I'm turning on him. I, personally. Not, not you,
4: not you so much, but no, I, just I know
1: I, I just as someone who's been critical of this show about it, I have really high expectations. I think I've been talking. I think he can be the best receiver in football. Like he's got that kind of talent. And, and I, this is, there's no part of the start of the season that shows him on that trajectory. And there's no part of how he started that shows him as a matchup proof receiver that people have to game plan for in crazy ways. I think they are game planning for him is the other thing that is happening. I think they are definitely trying to take DK away, but Deandre Hopkins gets that treatment and he's productive. I want him to be that level. So I'm just frustrated that he and the coaches haven't figured out how to get him there. Sorry, Evan, I cut you off.
2: No, I was just going to say, I don't think I've been seeing it that way, Nathan. I just, I just think fans have really high expectations for him knowing that he is going to be going into you know, contract and extension talks, most likely at the end of this year, he's a leader on this football team. And maybe that's too high of a threshold or expectation to apply to him going into year three, but I think it's how fans feel.
4: Uh, see, I, um, I think he is still playing well, like the deep ball has disappeared. But, you know, in that Tennessee game, he caught that little, um, I don't know, it wasn't really a screen, I don't think, a little flat route or something. And he juked and made the linebacker miss and then picked up like six yards, just which was just all yak. Um, there was a play where he caught a little, where I think Russ kind of scrambled and he caught a ball over the middle of the field and he darted upfield and, you know, put his shoulder into a DB and fell forward for some extra yards and picked up the first down and all that. You know, his bread and butter, the thing that he is completely dominant and the lead at, hasn't clicked this year but i think you are still seeing him find ways to make plays um it's just it's not as great as we want it to be and then he is visibly frustrated as well which i think is giving a perception that it's maybe worse than it is his titans game like if you look at the numbers and stuff it wasn't amazing by any stretch it it was not a great game but i think that you can still see where he is growing as a receiver and still a, clearly an extremely good player.
3: Yeah, and I think really it's it's not that he's being a diva. I don't see that. I think he's just a little immature, and I do wonder him and AJ Brown have a long hit. They were roommates in college. They were best friends. I wonder if he got a little just too jacked up for this game because AJ Brown didn't have a great game either. He was having uncharacteristic drops. And those two are best friends in college. They've compared each other. their whole. They were rivals in high school. I read an article about... I wonder how much that matchup got to his head where he wanted to just prove to that he's better than the other guy and almost lost himself.
2: But you know what that means? That's an area of growth that he That's needs I mean. to... I think it's
3: maturity. I think...
2: Yeah. I
3: don't see him being like... He's not demanding the ball or anything like that or freaking out. He's not getting the ball like he did at times last year. But to me it's just a sign that he needs to mature he's a young guy and there's still a lot of growth to him so i don't i don't find myself worried yet
1: all right how many more patron questions do we have
4: um let's see here um uh all right um so Uh, Jeff Z Ray wants to know about our third down conversion rate. So the poor third down conversion rate seems to be pretty consistent through the PC era. What needs to be changed are, and this is uh, offensively our Pete and Russell capable change.
3: Frankly, no. Uh, Listen, I love Russell he does so many good things. He's the best deep ball thrower I've ever seen in my life hopefully this offense will unlock him but he's not the guy to just carve you up on third downs and a lot of that has to do with vision and using the different parts of the field and we've seen three different coordinators now and more or less it would have been easy to blame seanheimer or pete but i just think it's a limitation in his game and again i don't know if that's his fault necessarily it's big ben is the same kind of issue where he doesn't use that quadrant of the field and it's nothing against Russell. I'm not coming out here with a hot take. I just don't think that's a strength of his game where he drops back in the pocket and carves you on third down. And that's sort of what breeze and Brady and the guys he really wants to be are like, and again, Russell has so many strengths and so much uniqueness, but I just don't know if he's going to magically, even with a great coach or someone like Waldron who might be a good coach, fix it. And maybe you gotta have easier throws, more layups for him, but I, I just don't know if that's gonna be part of his game.
1: I think Russ is getting off a lot easier than he should right now. I really do.
3: That was my initial takeaway from the game. I've kind of cooled on that a little bit, but I mean, on Sunday that was my take.
1: I, like Pete Carroll deserves all the you know conversation that's been happening there, and that's fine. It's well worn. The Russell's talk just seems to get quiet, like. And it's almost just like people don't want to talk about it because if it's real, <laughs> then we're fucked. Like, but the fact of the matter is, until Russell's a guy that can execute on third downs, those third downs is just a good scenario to think about. But until he's someone that can dissect those types of defenses and those exotic looks and those pressure situations, and make the throws that need to be made. There's a real ceiling to how good this team can be. Cause it's all it is all built on the assumption that he's gonna be the one that leads this team to a Super Bowl. And uh it's pretty discouraging. That that game, that that second half was super discouraging in that in that light. It's gotta play better. It's that simple. And
3: it's just it's interesting. Did you guys hear any of the Manning cast the last couple of weeks? So this week they had Peyton was talking about the lines went too high on Aaron Rodgers, and they were talking about pain was talking about the things you need to do to just beat that too high defense. And he was just talking about the key thing is just being boring, being patient, taking the check downs, taking the check downs, using the that. run. And eventually the other stuff opens up and Rogers did a phenomenal job of it. Cause eventually the game just opened up for him. And I, that just had me thinking like, is that Russell's game? Can he do that? Because he's so good down the field and his eyes are always down the field. And it might be a coaching thing, but that just had me thinking cuz when that's all Payne was talking about that his his football IQ is phenomenal and when Russell was on there they just almost seemed like they were in different leagues talking. But I, if Russell's a little boring and takes checkdowns, I you know there was a weird comment by Pete. I'm not going to agree with that one, but
1: Wait yeah. why? I thought that was a totally reasonable comment from Pete
3: from there but that play what's wrong with that why
1: why is russell taking shots in the in the overtime that Uh, i think the was no chance and the shot to dk was no chance
4: okay first of all that the play that he specifically called out was the one to lock it it was nearly completed first of all it was a max protect that ball that play was designed to go there so you know look we can talk a lot about russ um and i i have a lot of players open underneath no, because there were that there, there was only there was like, nobody
1: available for him other than Lockett.
4: there were like three routes. Two of them were the receivers deep, and then Carson releasing late and chipping. And then so the other thing. So first of all, people talk about him playing rhythm, just play do what the play is supposed to. Well, that's what he did on that play. Now the second thing is, if you go watch that play and watch how it unfolded, Carson came open very late. But it's a weird play with a linebacker who came in, then tried to robot back, and it and was right with Carson for a minute there uh, a, a rusher came unblocked so Russ would have had to like sidestep an unblock rusher find Carson dump it off by the time that happens the defense reacts so like would that have been the perfect outcome yes but like to point to that one play and say he should have checked it down there I, I'm not Pete Pete knows a lot more about football than I do seemed like a very weird play to pick out and and highlight And and I think generally I'm going to, I'm going to, for like the third time here, I'm going to shout out Griff, see my spin move. We've, we've been talking a lot about Russell and I've disagreed with him on quite a bit of stuff. Um, But like the problem with Russ is not the short game, right? If there are flaws in Russ's game, it's what he can do in that intermediate range. Um, That's what is missing. Russ attacks the short areas of the field quite a bit and did in the Titans game. Right. He is, he is kind of a boomer bust, And the question is what can you get him to do in the middle of the field? That is a really big open question that doesn't look good for Russ and may just always be a limitation for him. Um, but this idea that like, Oh, he doesn't want to take a check down or doesn't want to throw a quick. That's not really accurate. He prefers, he wants to push the ball. Like all that's true, but like, he also can't operate that quick game.
1: Okay. I know we're running out of time and we got to get our picks in. So uh, any other questions on, on,
4: I'll just take this one from Sam Brown. He asks if any of us see Coley Parkinson contributing to this offense. Um, y'all can jump in if you want, but I think we should see if they can manage to get Gerald Everett or Will Disley involved in this offense before we worry about Coley Parkinson. So uh, no, I, I don't think that's, that's a perfect way to answer
3: that. <laughs>
1: nope. Yes.
4: cosine. Yeah.
1: All right. So uh We got to talk about what we think is going to happen in this game. And Evan, I'm going to start with you. Uh, Seahawks come into this one and one. Vikings zero and two. What's going to happen? What's the score?
2: Oh man, I really don't want to do this, guys. But I think the Vikings might win this game.
1: And but what's the score?
2: Thirty to twenty. They need this win.
4: Nathan. Uh, I'm going to go big on this one and say 34 23 Seahawks. Okay.
1: Pete remains undefeated against Mike Zimmer. Jeff. Oh, I'm conflicted on this game because I'm sort of with Evan, where
3: they need to win in their. Owen 3 and their coach is fighting for his job. But I'm going to take the Seahawks. I think the way they lost is going to piss them off and I think Russell has a nice game. So I think it's a weird game where Seattle wins by a field goal. I'll say 26 to
1: 23. You know, it's funny the Vikings kicker has kicked three 50-yard field goals, three for three from over 50 yards. And the one kick he's had from under 50 yards was 37 yards, and he missed it. Uh, So I think the Seahawks are the better team. I really do, Uh, for a lot of the reasons uh, Arif mentioned. And then I actually think the Seahawks defense is actually better than the Vikings defense. Um, But I think that there's a lot of intangibles against the seahawks in this scenario and uh this to me feels like a vikings win it will surprise me if the seahawks win uh, i think they definitely can but I'm, I'm picking the the vikings to win this 34 to 27 and uh the seahawks are going to be in real challenging situation if they look in one and two going to the 49ers the following week um could be could be a really rough ride so uh you know on the flip side if they manage to find the way to win this game go to 2-0 on the road travel to San Francisco that has lost already like a shit ton of players and now all the running backs and maybe the Seahawks could come out three and one and all of a sudden with things are looking super rosy so this is a this is a crossroads game. You're one and one It's early in the season. It is your first game against an NFC opponent, a conference opponent. And this we're going to see, we're going to see. This is a, this is going to be really interesting. And this is where you need your best players to play the best. So how is Jamal Adams going to play? How is Russell Wilson going to play? And Frankly, we haven't talked much about it, but how is Chris Carson going to play like the the running game, whether you like them using it or not, we can all agree it sucks shit in this Titans game. It was awful. And so if they're going to do it, which we know they are, they better be good at it. Like, so that's a that's another key factor uh, looking at what's going to happen this week and we get another. Another view of these Seahawks corners against a pair of good receivers. So, Sorry, well, real quick.
4: How many of us just picked a win? Two. Just two? Wait, did you pick a loss? I picked a loss. I picked a oh. loss. All right. I was going to dunk on the chat because they're like freaking out about us being so negative. And I'm like, I think three of us just picked us to win. But I wasn't listening. So good job, chat. You win this one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Nathan well, it's very
3: funny very- because if you – if you asked us all our opinion at halftime last week after the first game, like I know what I was thinking at halftime. I'm like, I think we got a hell of a team here. And then the second half happens and it's like a gut punch. It's
1: amazing how the conversation changes. I have, that game. I have text messages and even some tweets at halftime saying like, this is going to be a super uncomfortable game. Like everything in the first half made me feel like other than the, the two minute drill scoring that they did, Made me feel like the Seahawks did not have a sustainable plan on offense and the Vikings were 0-3 for 3 in the red zone and they could make this really tough on us. They and, were
2: up 14 points with 12 and a half minutes to go.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean,
3: I mean it's, I'm, uh, it's funny. I have the same thought now. Like, I'm terrified now.
1: I am not terrified. I am disappointed and I'm, I'm skeptical. Is, is probably yeah, the best word for remember. me. I'm that's skeptical, that's, and, and I just want to see this offense actually, as, as Evan said, be repeatable, be you know multiple as they were, use the motion, use the deception. We didn't say anything about this today. We really should. DS Eskridge being out, I think, was a big deal, and he was out of practice again today. With a concussion still. That's freaking serious. I can't remember the last time the CX had a player that was out with a concussion for one week, didn't go to practice, and then was still out the following Wednesday. That's a serious brain injury that he's dealing with. So I don't think we know what that's going to look like. Um, but without he, I mean, I think Freddie Swain is not D. Eskridge, and 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 they definitely did not use Penny Hart in any D. Eskridge kind of way. So, yeah, that's going to be another thing to watch.
3: Why couldn't they use Everett
1: I don't
3: know. Uh, yeah.
4: There's uh, lots, of, lots of questions. Of
1: With that, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna wrap up for tonight, please. If you haven't already give the show a like, uh, click subscribe. We're now over 7,000 subscribers. We're moving on up and still growing. Thank you for that. Click subscribe, click the bell to get notified when we go live and go over to patreoncom slash Hawk We've got a bunch of new folks joining. We gave away charter seats to the game last week. Uh, you know, uh, Somebody, uh, a, a patron that you all should know if you're in the Slack channel, got uh, those great seats. We'll almost certainly have more tickets to give away and other great things to give away only to patrons. So patreon.com slash hog Join worst case scenarios. You get instant access to the Slack channel and you meet a bunch of cool people. It's a great community. Good people treat each other well and talk a bunch about the Seahawks. So uh, commiserate when things go bad and celebrate when they go well. Um, Hope to see you over there. Good luck to everybody this weekend. We're all going to be sitting on the couch
0: rooting for them. Uh, And on that note, go Hawks.